0: Well, good morning. Uh, we at White River, our goal is to connect every life to Jesus. We do that in a lot of different ways for a lot of different age groups. But for our high school students, one of the biggest moments of the year is a, a trip called a Christ and Youth Move. Uh, that trip happens tomorrow. Uh, there's 94 students and leaders headed to Holland, Michigan for Move this year. Um, and so what I want to ask you to do is join me in praying for them this week if you would like to. Um, at the connections desk, there's tags, keychain tags that you can pick one up. It's got a name of a student or a name of a leader. If it has a name of a leader, it says leader underneath it. Uh, just to be praying for this week, every time you grab your keys, just say a quick prayer for them. Uh, but we're going to stop right now, and we're just going to pray for them before they head uh, to move. So let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we get the chance just to pray, to pray for those who are around the world from our church connecting lives to Jesus, and we pray for our high school students who are um, headed off to move. And the whole purpose of this trip is for our students to connect with you, to grow in their relationships with you. God, I pray for those students who might not know you yet. I pray that they would come to know who you are and that it would change not just their life, but their eternity. Jesus, would you be with the leaders this week? Give them the energy, the grace, the stamina to make it through the week, uh, to care for these students to be there in the moments when they're walking through what it looks like to pursue you in a greater way. Father, we pray that you'd be with us this morning. As we open your word, Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? Would you help us to learn from the character we're going to look at today so that we might not repeat the mistakes that they did? Jesus, we love you. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Uh, As a parent, there's not uh, more infuriating moment for me than when you look at your child dead in the eyes and you tell them, do not blank. And like before the words even exit your mouth, your child turns around and and does that exact thing, right? Any parents out there ever experienced this before? Please tell me I'm not the only one. Okay, good. Some of you are like, yes, amen, right? Like so we, a couple weeks ago, we went to Disney with my in-laws. Um, love Disney. Uh, it's not, for me, it is like the happiest place on earth. I'm more of a kid than my kids are kids, right? When we go to Disney. But we were getting on It's a Small World. And as we're getting on It's a Small World, I reminded my children, hey, as we get on this, it's a boat. Please, please, don't put your hands in the water, right? It's like what every parent says, and here, let me just tell you this. I'm just going to confess right now. I have no idea why they should not put their hands in the water. Okay? Now, as I was stepping into the boat, I just started to hear my mom's voice in the back of my head, like, don't put your hand in the water. You put your hand in the water, you're going to get electrocuted. You're going to get fingers cut off. You might fall in and die. Right? And so I'm like, the good thing to do right now, because my mom told me all this, was to tell my kids this, right? Right? So we jump into the it's a small world and, you know, it kind of kind of come out of the little thing and you drop down in the water and then you take a left turn into the ride and then you got to go through the wall. Before we ever even turned left, I'm from the back row, I watch my kids go. And I'm like, child, let's not let this annoying song be what ushers you into heaven. Right. I'm going to kill you from the back of this boat. Right. But I also want to confess this too. I started thinking to myself, why did I tell them that? Other than my mom always told me it. So as I'm thinking about my, I'm like, yeah, whatever, mom, I'm not going to. So I put my hand in there, right? And I vowed to myself that day. I'm never going to tell my kids never to put their hand in the water on a boat red right again. Because it's not dangerous. Look at this, you know? Like, it's fine. I don't get that. But still, the point was, they did exactly the opposite of what I just asked them to do. And it drives me insane every time. That's one way to get me off kilter is to just turn around and do that. And this morning, we're going to look at a character um, in Jesus' genealogy who does the exact same thing, but on a a way more massive scale. So if you have your Bibles, open them up uh, with me to Matthew chapter 1. And I wonder, like, what makes us do this? What makes us hear some instruction And turn around and do the exact opposite thing. I've been processing that this week. I don't have an answer yet, so just going to throw that out there. But hopefully we can learn something this morning as we look at Jesus' genealogy again in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at, let's see here, verse 6. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was the father of Abinadab. We're going to stop there. All right, here's who we're looking at today. We're looking at Solomon. David was the father of Solomon. Solomon is the character whom we look at as we, we're going to come to find out, who l- literally is told something and does the exact opposite. Um, David, at the end of his life, uh, is on his deathbed and he's passing on the kingdom to Solomon. Turn with me to First Kings, First Kings, chapter two. He's literally on his deathbed. He's getting ready. And this is like his final instructions, final words. He wants to tell Solomon, you know, you think about this moment. It's like, what, what is the most important thing for me to tell you as you take over the kingdom and as I leave this earth? And this is what David says to Solomon. Chapter two, verse one. Uh, At the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I am going where everyone on earth must go someday. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the law your God of your God, excuse me. <laughs> Let me try it again. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. He told me, if your descendants will live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their hearts and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. So here David, he's at the end of his life. Solomon's getting ready to take over reign of the kingdom. And he tells him uh, not once, but twice to do what? To follow the rules and regulations of the law. Follow the law of Moses. Like do as God commanded you to do as king. He says, observe the requirements of the Lord God and follow all his ways. And then he says it again, keep the decrees, commandments, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do. Why? Well, there's two reasons why, in my mind. One, he states, he says, because God's promised if you do this, we'll always uh, hold the throne. Right? The throne will always be within your family. But the second reason I think he says it is because this is David who didn't do this well, Right? I mean, David, we think of, uh, you know, David was the one that was chosen out of all the brothers, the kind of the weakest, the, the, the most unlikely. He was the one that also, also went out um, and killed Goliath. He took over the kingdom. But this is also David who uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba. I don't remember that story, but then uh, brings her husband home and can't get her husband to return home. And so he ends up devising a plan to kill uh, her husband. And, and as a result, his leadership's... Uh, is, is tainted from the rest of his life. And so here he is telling him, like, you need to do this one thing. This one, you got to follow the Lord and his decrees. You would think that was pretty clear, straightforward, cut and dry for him. And yet that's not what we see. Let's continue reading. Uh, turn with me. Let's see here. Yes, turn with me to chapter 3. Actually, we're going to back it up just by a half a verse, okay? So the very last line of chapter two. Now, here's the thing. One of the things that, that you and I know about the law of Moses is that uh, he has declared specific things for us to do and not to do. Um, Solomon would have known these. Like sometimes I read and I wonder, would they actually have known every single law that was written in the law of Moses? Yes, Solomon would have. King David would have led him in that. And this is what, this is, here's what we read. So the kingdom was now firmly in Solomon's grip. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. He brought her to live in the city of David until he could finish building his palace in the temple of the Lord and the wall around the city. At that time, the people of Israel sacrificed their offerings at local places of worship for the temple honoring the name of the Lord had not yet been built. So here it is. David turns over the kingdom to uh, Solomon and he says, I want you to follow all the rules and regulations of the Lord. And then the first thing Solomon does is he makes a treaty with who? Egypt. 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 This is Egypt. Egypt's the one to enslave them for 400 years. Egypt's the place where God had to like do miracles in order to get them out. Egypt is the one that pursued them into the Red Sea because they wanted to enslave them again. And what does Solomon do? The first thing he goes and makes an alliance with Egypt. Now, see, you and I know this from the Old Testament. In fact, it's found in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 7. If you want to flip there, put your finger in Kings because we're going to come back to that. In Deuteronomy chapter seven, as God's laying out the law, he says this in verse one, "'When the Lord your God brings you into the land "'that you're about to enter and occupy, "'he will clear away many nations ahead of you, "'the Hittites, the Garishites, the Amorites, "'the Canaanites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. "'These seven nations are greater "'and more numerous than you. "'When the Lord your God hands these nations over to you, "'you are to conquer them, "'and you must completely destroy them. "'Make no treaties with them and show no mercy.'" You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters or your sons marry their sons or daughters for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. He says right after, hey, I'm gonna clear all these people out and then here's what you're not to do. You're not to intermarry with them. Don't marry these foreign people. Don't let your sons and daughters marry foreign men and women. That's because why? Because it's gonna lead you away from worshiping me. So don't do that. Now flip back to 1 Kings. David just said twice, I want you to follow all the decrees the Lord God has made. And Solomon does what? He immediately goes out and disobeys one of them. Immediately. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. (laughs) Right? Like, you failed. That's not it. That's not the right answer. That's not what you're supposed to do. That's not that. No. He brought her to live in the city of David until he could finish building the palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around the city. So not only did he marry her, but then he allows her to move into his household. Now, here's the deal. that If she would have converted to the worship of Yahweh, our God, the God, right, that would be a different case. But that's not what happens. She's still worshiping her gods, the gods of Egypt. And so, Here, God has just, in our history, removed the people out of, and then we've talked about this. We just talked about this the last years we did, how long it took for him to rewire the people to not worship the gods of Egypt. And Solomon, as soon as he takes over the kingdom, what's he do? He moves all those gods right back into his house, Like right back into his house. And in this moment, you see something that is revealed in Solomon. There's this arrogance. There's this self-sufficiency. Like, I'm gonna do everything I'm supposed to do except for this one thing. I'm just gonna keep this one thing over here for me. I got this, right? And this one thing is this desire to marry foreign women. And we see that because why? Because we're told this next. Verse three, Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father, David, except Solomon too offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. Okay, so, so Solomon loved the Lord, right, right, so, but we were just told about this part of Solomon's life where it, he ain't loving the Lord. So here he is, he, he loved the Lord, except for there's one downfall of Solomon. Except, right? Except like his father, David, Solomon too offered sacrifices, bird incense at the local places of worship. Why did God say, I don't want you to marry foreign women? Because they're gonna make you worship other gods. They're gonna drag you away from worshiping me. Now, listen, I'm gonna call a little bit of time out. If you're single in the crowd, thanks for being here. Look at me real quick. If you're single in this crowd, this is important. Marrying somebody who does not worship Jesus is not going to help your relationship with Jesus. Okay? Like, th- this, is, uh, this is not like dad talking. I'm not dad talking. This is scripture talking. When you flip over to the New Testament, what do we see? We see the exact same command in 2 uh, Corinthians. It says, do not be unequally yoked. That, here's a little tool that you can use when you're studying scripture, okay? If it's cultural, it's probably only going to be mentioned one time in scripture. That means it applied to the culture, the people that it was written to. It, there's this thing called transcultura. There's a theologian that developed these two thoughts. Uh, transculture is something that was, uh, that was stated in the Old Testament, stated in the New Testament, and it's still true for us today. It's true for all people. See, it's true in the Old Testament. Don't marry foreign women. Don't marry women who worship other gods. Men worship other gods. And in the New Testament it said again, don't be unequally yoked. It's it's important. And if you think you can do it, good luck. I've watched a lot of people fail. Because there's something to this. Okay, back to the Scripture. Sorry about that. I just wanted you to hear that. It is Scripture. That's right. Thank you. So here, so then what's, what happens? So verse four, the most important of these places of worship was Gibeon. So the king went there and sacrificed 100 burnt offerings. That, pause, right? So here he is. Not only has he brought this foreign woman into his house, now he's just laxed on where he's gonna worship and who he's gonna worship. He goes to Gibeon. Gibeon is one of the most well-known Canaanite worship spots. Why? Because it was the highest place to offer burnt offerings and worship. And and Gibeon, uh, and Canaanite thought is that if you are higher up on earth, that you would actually be heard or, and, and more likely to be answered. Does that sound like our God? No. It doesn't matter if you're at the lowest point on earth or the highest point. That, that's not our God. And here, what's Solomon doing? He brings a foreign woman in his house. He's uh, worshiping at other temples. And you see immediately this divided heart, this desire to be like, hey, God, I want to worship you and everything I've got except for this. I'm just going to keep this to myself. I, I, I'm self-sufficient. I even looked at Here's self-sufficient, okay? Needing no outside help in satisfying one's basic needs. I, I don't need your help with this, God. I got, I got this one. I'll, I'll give you all this. I'll, I'll worship you with everything else I have, but this I'm going to hold on to. Because I, I don't need your help with this one. In this moment, what we see is that Solomon was self-sufficient, or at least he thought he was, in one area of life. And ultimately, that one area leads to his downfall. But let's keep reading. Because this amazing thing happens. Even in the midst of this like divided heart, God still comes to Solomon. And something amazing happens. Verse five, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and God asked, what do you want? Ask and I'll give it to you. Solomon replied, you show great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, Lord, my God, You have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and so numerous, they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you ask for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decree and my commandments, as your father David did, then I will give you a long life. So here God comes to him in this dream, says, listen, I'll give you whatever you want. You ask, I'll give it to you. And Solomon says, well, this is a moment where Solomon shows that he's actually dependent on God is the God dependency shines through in this moment. Like, hey, I've been given this kingdom and who, who can actually govern all these people, this massive nation of yours? He even says, I'm like a little kid. Like not in the fact that like his age, just in like his ability to lead, like I'm not capable of leading this type of charge. And what I need most from you is an understanding heart. I need a heart so that I can govern what's right and wrong and to do what's right and wrong for these people. And in this moment, we see this unbelievable just moment of transparency and humility from Solomon. Like, I can't do this on my own. I need to be God-dependent. And you see, what does God say? God says, I'm going to do that for you, man. I'm going to to give you an understanding heart so that you can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. He's he's going to give that to him. But not only that, he's going to give him all these other things he didn't ask for. But notice what God says, verse 14. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, then I'll give you long life. if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands. You see, in this moment, we see Solomon. <laughs> it's instructed by David, God himself, to be God-dependent, and yet he chooses to be self-sufficient in one area. And this, and this yeah, I'm going to be God-dependent. I can't lead these people. I can't do this. But when it comes to foreign women, well, I, I got this under control. I got this unlocked. I don't need your help, God. And what we see is this moment where, and this is what we got to learn. Like you are not called to be self-sufficient. You are called to be God-dependent. Not just in one area of your life, Solomon, but all areas of your life. Like it's not enough to give him all this and then hold on to this. And I don't know what this is for you. Right? I've been asked that question of myself. What areas of my life am I, am, I, am I trying to be self-sufficient rather than God-dependent? I struggle with that all week. Why? Because I don't really want to be honest about that. I don't want to sit here and be like, well, oh, I'm really terrible at this. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, I got this. I don't need your help, God. I've got this. And yet, that's not what God's called us to. I love what He asked for. He doesn't ask, he, he asked for something about His character, not possessions. In fact, God's even amazed that that's what He asked for. You didn't ask for riches, you didn't ask for somebody else to die. You, you literally asked for your character to be formed. You asked for something to, to, to grow within you about your character. When was the last time you asked God to grow something about your character? rather than just answer one of your requests. You see, we, we learn good things from Solomon. We also learn the hard things from Solomon. I'm encouraged by that because that, that's what my life feels like. It like, feels like some good things and then a couple of things that aren't that great, right? But here's the question that has brought me to you. Like where in your life are you self-sufficient rather than God-dependent? Like if we had all the things in your life that were God dependent, put them on this side of the stage and we had the things that were, you were just self-sufficient within on this side of the stage, which one would outweigh each other? Or maybe you're like Solomon, like everything is yours, God, except for this one little thing. I got this. This one's mine. I can handle this. I don't need your help with this thing. And the good news is, is that this is something that we all do. And in fact, if James were there to speak to, 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 speak to Solomon, I think he would, have, he would have spoken these words because they ring true. Again, something that's true in the Old Testament, which is true in the New Testament. James 1.22 says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. If you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. That's almost like the exact opposite of me telling my children what they should do and then them going and doing it. or what they should not do and then them going and doing it, right? This is like, the Bible version of of my first story, right? You're gonna listen to the word of God and know what you should do. And then you're gonna walk away and not do it. It's like looking at yourself and forgetting what you look like when as soon as you walk away. Yet if you would, even as hard as it could be with this thing that you maybe hold on to, that you're self-sufficient, that I don't need God. I don't need to be God dependent. I've got this on my own. If you look into that perfect law, it'll set you free from having to be self-sufficient in that area you do what the Bible encourages you to do, don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. You see, God, God wants us to be God-dependent in every area of our life. Every area. Your personal life, marriage, finances, parenting, your family. Right now, I'm going to be honest with you. As I was wrestling with this question, one of, the, one, of the, one of the things that I kind of hold back from God, right, is one of the things I, I do this with is my, my own immediate family. Some of which know Jesus, some don't. Most don't. Got a random call this past week from one of my cousins who I literally have not talked to probably in 15 years. She's turned her life around. A lot of backstory there. Reason why we haven't talked for probably 15 years. And uh the reason she wanted to talk to me is because she's going to get married next summer and wants me to do the wedding. There's an area of life where I've been like, I got this under control, God. Like, I don't need to talk to that side of my family. There's things going on there. If you knew the things, it would, it would embarrass me. It would probably embarrass you if you knew what all went on in that side of my family, right? Like, I got, I, and guess. uh-uh. Uh -uh. I need you to be dependent on me. I need you to let me have your family. It's easy for us to take something and be self-sufficient and say, God, I don't need your help with this. And yet when we look at Solomon, because Solomon didn't figure this out. Solomon didn't turn around after God said, I'll give you everything, anything you want. And then was given, this is, I mean, Solomon. Solomon. Somebody asked me out front, like, who are we talking about from Jesus' genealogy today? I said, We're talking about Solomon. He goes, Oh, wisest person to ever live. And I'm like, Oh, you should wait. <laughs> <laughs> You're real excited about talking about this guy. You shouldn't be, right? Like, yes, he was the wisest person. Yes, he was probably one of the most wealthy people. But Solomon never figured this out. Flip with me over to chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. Verse one. Now Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts from God. Yes, Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Okay, I have a wonderful wife. I do not need 700 of her. Okay? Lord have mercy. 700 wives. Like, I know I make a joke and make light of that, but 700 wives, not not once did Solomon say, you know what, I got this. God, you don't know what you're talking about. I, I know better than you do. 700 times. He said, God, I've got it. I don't need your help. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. Verse four. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, his God, and his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashereth, the the goddess of the Sidonians and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And in this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. Jump down to verse 9. The Lord was very angry with Solomon for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's commands. So now the Lord said to him, since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. But for the sake of your father, David, I will not do this while you are still alive. I will take the kingdom away from your son. And even so, I will not take away the entire kingdom. I will let him be king of one tribe for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, my chosen city. I thought about this past week. What would we say about Solomon if he could have got this figured out? What would Solomon would have accomplished if he didn't have a divided heart and didn't feel like he had to be self-sufficient in one area and God-dependent in others? What would have happened? Or how would we have spoke of him this morning? And then I think about you and me. What could God accomplish through you and me if we didn't have a divided heart? What could he do in and through you if you are completely God-dependent in all areas of your life and not withholding things that you think you're self-sufficient in? What could change about your workplace? What could change about your family? What could change about this church? What could change about our community? If we decided, you know what, God, I don't don't got any of this under control. I'm just going to reveal it and let you use it. God tells us that what's in the darkness, he's going to bring to the light. And when he brings it to the light, man, when he brings it to the light, it's like freedom. But you have work to do in that. Got to answer that question. Where in your life are you self-sufficient more than God-dependent? And listen, you're not alone. That's Solomon, hero of the Bible. Who struggled with this till the kingdom was ripped from his hands. And so if you find yourself in that seat, which all of us do in some way, shape or form, you're in good company. But the question is, what are you gonna do from this day forward with it? And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna just take a moment. Uh, you've seen some of these questions and statements that come up in this little video, Pat, at the end of the sermon. And I want you to just consider these questions, consider these statements. My prayer for you this week is that you wouldn't have a divided heart, but you would be fully God-dependent. All areas of your life and that you would continue to strive to be God-dependent and not self-sufficient in those which you are tempted towards. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for your word. Thanks for Solomon. Thanks for the way he struggled with this back and forth. And even, we don't even see a resolution other than the kingdoms taken away from him. Gotta pray for each person in this room as there's something that we, if not more than one thing, that we hold on to that we think we have, we got in our control, we don't need your help, we're self-sufficient, and yet we're only fooling ourselves, myself included. Jesus, would you would you change our hearts? Would you allow us by your Holy Spirit to, to lay those things at your feet today, to walk out of here free of those things? able to do something different, live differently, be dependent on you. And would you grant us freedom in those areas of our life? Jesus, we love you. We're so very thankful that while we were still sinners, you died for us because you loved us. Pray these things in your precious name. Amen.